There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a weekly podcast by The Local. This week, we are talking about gun laws in Germany after a shooting in Hamburg. We'll get into why anyone can now swim topless in Berlin's swimming pools, and we'll talk about German nudity culture. With the German citizenship reform set to be debated in Parliament soon, we'll talk about the proposed changes to the draft law so far. And there are widespread strikes happening across Germany at the moment. We'll discuss why there is so much industrial action right now. If you're confused about tipping in Germany, don't worry, we're going to get some clarity on the do's and don'ts around it from a German etiquette expert. Lastly, we'll talk about the German words that strike fear into our hearts. I'm Rachel Loxon and I'm in Berlin today with journalists Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. Hello. 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 So we had a pause last week. There was a Berlin public holiday for Frauentag or Women's Day. How are you both doing? Doing great, actually. I've just got back from some travels in Slovakia, which was lovely. I was in the beautiful mountain region of Jasna, which I would highly recommend to anyone who's in Saxony or Berlin. You can actually go there on the train via Prague. So I had a really, really lovely time and it's definitely worth checking out. Stunning. Certain places, I mean, from this part of the country are really nice and accessible. Absolutely. And affordable to get to as well. We're recording this on Wednesday, March the 15th. Aaron, you are curating a special Deutschland Twitter account this week. Can you tell us what you're doing? Yeah. So if you're on Twitter and you head to at Germany underscore I am, you'll find the I am Germany account. Basically, a new person tweets as Germany for a week from Sunday at 6 p.m. to the next Sunday at 6 p.m. And then the next person takes over. And this week, it's me and I'm having a blast. A shout out to anyone in the I Am Germany community listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, What I really like about what I'm doing this week is seeing and sharing perspectives from around the country. So previous curators have come from Baden-Württemberg, Dresden and Munich. So those were the last three, all in the last weeks. And I'm excited to add some Berlin flavor to the mix. We're talking everything from favorite German wines, obviously, it's me, um, to pictures from the nine countries that Germany borders from and all taken by people who live close to those borders and who've taken day trips, you mm-hmm. know, speaking about close borders Imogen just now going to the, you know, to the east. So, you know, as Germany borders nine countries, I have a question for you, ladies. Uh, can you name them all, all Ooh, nine Czech off Republic, the top of your head? Poland, Denmark, Switzerland, France, Austria. We you said Denmark, right? We've said Denmark. Wait, how, do, how many do we have so far? I think six of the nine, yeah. Six. The Netherlands. Oh, yeah, obviously. yeah. L- is Liechtenstein one of them? Another L. Another Different L. L. Luxembourg. There you go. Yay. <laughs> yes. Well, that's so eight of the nine. <laughs> oh, wait. We've got eight. Yeah. There's another one. Yeah, there's one last one. Oh, no. Oh, no. This, this is, country this also has a small German minority, actually. This one. 
It has a very small German minority, like and German is pressure. an official language of that country, in addition to uh, French and Dutch. Ah, Belgium. Yes. Uh, yes. I was going to say Belgium. I, that was my next answer, Aaron. I was almost there. Yeah. No, a lot of people don't know that German is also an official language in Belgium. So I didn't now, know that. Now you know. I did uh, also happen to, uh, I have to admit to you two that I've been, I've been, I've been cheating on you a little bit. I did uh, ask this question also of uh, our friend uh, Nick Houghton from Decades From Home, who has been a friend to the local and a previous guest on this podcast for... Um, for this week's installment, and I asked him this very same question. I think you two got it a little bit faster than he did. Excellent. Mm, I would say Imogen should take credit for that. <laughs> I just feel under pressure. <laughs> Next, we have to name all the 16 Bundesländer. That's my I party do, trick. I could do that. Yeah, but let's have a do that. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode. Yeah. Okay, let's get into what's been happening in Germany. And there was a really tragic story last week when a gunman entered a Jehovah's Witnesses Center in Hamburg and killed four men and two women, as well as an unborn baby. The mother survived. And the suspect killed himself when police arrived. Now, that happened last Thursday night. Police are still investigating the motive of that. Today, we are going to touch on gun laws and the reaction from politicians. Aaron, first of all, did this man gain access to a gun legally in Germany? Uh, yes, Rach, he did. So the suspect's name is Philip F. Uh, and he used a semi-automatic pistol. And he actually legally owned this as a marksman or a sports shooter. Now, this man was a former uh, member of uh, this congregation. He had apparently left it about 18 months ago, not uh, on the best of terms, from what we understand. And one thing that's come out around this investigation is that authorities apparently received an anonymous tip in January that uh, suggested that he was exhibiting uh, some signs of psychological break and that he had a particular amount of rage against his former employer as well as against his former congregation, which uh, he uh, later appears to have targeted. So that certainly is leaving some questions about, uh, about how he still had this weapon. And what's the reaction to this mass shooting at the political level in Germany been? So Interior Minister Nancy Faeser who has her hands full at the moment with several draft laws, uh, was actually already working on a draft law to crack down on gun ownership in Germany further when this shooting happened. This law has the support from well over 50% of the German public. It would ban assault rifles and semi-automatic long guns. But Faser noted that the draft law, as it currently stands, would not have prevented the Hamburg uh, shooter from owning the gun that he used in the attack, a semi-automatic pistol. So Faser says they're going to look at whether the draft law that they're already working on should actually be made a bit tougher. Okay, and Imogen, what do we know about the, the current gun laws? Well, you quite often hear it said that Germany has some of the toughest gun laws in Europe. And there are definitely quite a few hurdles to clear if you do want to get your hands on a gun. And as Aaron said, these laws are under constant review. They're being toughened up all the time. So the main idea is that some people, particularly in rural areas, may want a gun for hobbies like hunting or targeting 
target shooting, um, or they might be anti-collectors or possibly work in the security services. So the first step is really to prove that you have this valid reason for wanting to own a gun. And unlike in America, for instance, or the USA, um, self-defense wouldn't wouldn't count as a valid reason. Once you've gone through that step, uh, you'll then have to undergo what's known as a reliability check. So that will involve a criminal record, background check, looking into your mental health, whether you have certain addictions, drug or alcohol addictions, and really anything else that could potentially be a concern for authorities and, you know, membership of hard right or sort of extremist political groups would, would definitely fall under that category. Once that's done, you then have to complete a special knowledge test, um, which checks sort of your your understanding and knowledge of guns. And if you're under the age of 25, you have to do a psychiatric evaluation as well. So obviously, children aren't allowed to own firearms. So you'll have to be over 18 to even begin this process. One thing that is missing from the legislation as it stands are kind of these ongoing checks on existing gun owners who may, for instance, have developed mental health issues or perhaps become radicalized um, politically over time. Obviously, in in this case, um, in Hamburg, investigations are still ongoing, but it seems like that is something that could potentially have been missing um, in the treatment of of this suspect. And it is something the government has been thinking about, particularly in the wake of the far-right attack in Hanau, and it could potentially come into force in the future. This is all, as I say, under review. Thanks for those updates, guys. Now, let's move towards the German capital. Berlin is now allowing women and non-binary people, as well as men, to swim topless, if they want to, in the city's swimming pools. The state government decided this last week after a discrimination complaint was lodged. It has been called a step forward for equality. Imogen, can you tell us a bit about the story? Yeah, well, this uh, basically all dates back to an incident that took place at a swimming pool out in Kalsdorf, so a district in the east of Berlin uh, last summer. Uh, So a woman called Lotte Mies um, had basically checked whether she could swim topless in the pool before arriving. She had apparently got the green light from the management to do so. But when she actually arrived and and was swimming in the pool, she kind of got confronted by the pool attendant. Um, She was told that she had to cover her chest or effectively be escorted out and banned from the swimming pool. She refused to cover up at the time and ended up being escorted off the premises, which you can imagine, and she's since said, was a completely humiliating experience. The thing is, this isn't the first time an incident like this has happened. There was actually a major media storm back in 2021 when a French woman was forced to leave a water park after sunbathing topless uh, with her five-year-old son. Um, She actually managed to get compensation from the water park after this happened. So what are the rules for Berlin swimming pools? Well, basically, they state that you have to wear a commercially available swimming costume or swimming attire. But it turns out this was being applied very differently when it came to men and women. So men were allowed to strip down to their swimming trunks. But as we've seen from these two anecdotes, women have often been told you have to cover your chest. As it turns out, though, uh, Mies had actually worked as a lifeguard at a pool for several years. So she was pretty familiar with the rules and how they should be applied. So after this event happened last summer, she ended up uh, challenging the decision uh, with the Berlin Ombudsman. And her complaint has just been upheld. What that means is that the rules will now be applied to men and women uh, equally. So 
You do have to wear swimming bottoms, but you don't have to wear a top, regardless of your gender. Interesting. And do we know why Mies pushed so hard on this issue? Why she really fought for this? Well, really for her, it was all about equality and discrimination. So there are spaces where men have certain freedoms to show their body. And apparently because breasts are often so sexualized in society, women don't. Um, In fact, Kalsdorf actually did change their rules after this incident happened. But they said that women could only Swim, swim topless if it didn't bother anyone else, which Mead said was giving far too much power to people who wanted to kind of sexualize or police her body. She's since said that she really doesn't intend to rock up at the cinema or, you know, eat out at a fancy restaurant while not wearing a, a bra. Um, she simply wants to be allowed to strip off in hot weather in the same space as men can. Good for her. Do any other parts of Germany allow everyone to take their top off in swimming pools? Well, it does actually look like Berlin is leading the way on this uh, compared to other parts of Germany. There was actually a similar situation that happened in the city of Göttingen recently, and that led to the city allowing uh, toplessness for both genders, but only at the weekends, firstly, and only for a limited period of time. So currently that does mean the capital is the only place that explicitly allows topless bathing at swimming pools so far. But again, it it really comes down to how the rules are enforced. You know, nudity isn't banned per se, but could be seen as a public nuisance. um, And that could put you on the wrong side of the law in some cases. So in short, it is probably best to phone ahead if you are planning on uh, not wearing a bikini top at the pool in other parts of Germany. Yeah, if you don't live in the capital. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting, though, isn't it? Because Germany is kind of a special place when it comes to public nudity, because there is, of course, a little thing called FKK. Oh, yes. Aaron, you want to tell <laughs> those, us about this? Those three letters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so FKK is short for Freikuppelkultur, literally free body culture. And it's synonymous with Germany's generally relaxed attitude to nudity, including nudity in public. Advocates sort of say it's natural, it's healthy, it's everywhere around Germany, but it has a special tradition in the East where people could strip off the uniforms and the regimentation, the, that oppressive regimentation of the of the communist GDR regime. Now, going nude in Germany isn't itself illegal. If you're in a spot where you aren't bothering anyone, you haven't committed any kind of offense. It can fall under rules around, and Imogen has uh, alluded to this a little bit, being a nuisance, um, <laughs> though. So, you know, a naked nuisance, uh, if you will. If your nudity is in a place where it is bothering somebody, you can be charged. So there's even groups for naked hiking in Germany as well. Most saunas in Germany are explicitly FK for hygiene reasons. They will ask you not to wear anything when you're in there. But there are also many beaches that are explicitly uh, FKK around Germany. Uh, These will be signed, so you will know... usually, mm-hmm. or there will be something that tells you that this is enough Kaka Beach explicitly. Uh, you can even find a list of these on the internet, such as the enthusiasm. We should also note that when there is an FKK sign at a beach, you actually will get in trouble if you're not naked. And that has happened to me before, where I have gone to accidentally an FKK area and been, accidentally. <laughs> yes, and been told off for not being completely nude. So, yeah, it's Germany. you got to follow the rules. It's true. There's there actually... are rules around something that is designed... To be free... To, to be, be freedom. Freedom. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> As FKK. 
as Aaron says, there are special kind of hiking uh, trails, nude hiking trails. And I think there's a sign on one of them when it becomes the nude hiking trail that says something like, people offended by nudity turn back now. So you really, it's very well signposted. And I guess the implication is also, if you're wearing clothes, also turn back now or be willing to uh, to wear fewer ones. Exactly. Are either of you guys into it? Have you tried it? I, uh, I've, I've had, I've had some experience with it. I'm actually not at an official F car car section um, of a lake. I was out at Leibnitzsee, but I actually, with a friend, managed to uh, create an unofficial one. Um, so we, <laughs> we were yourselves. out there, and uh, my friend was very, very keen to embrace the full freedoms of German society in summer. So we kind of stripped off, and we noticed that all of these kind of older, naked Germans were gravitating towards us as the beacon of the, you know, the unofficial F car car part of this beach, which was definitely a, a conversation starter. I'm not sure how comfortable I am with uh, with making new friends while completely naked, but uh, it was an experience, definitely. I love that. You're so German. Immigrant. I know. I'm so yeah, well, integrated. In this respect, you might be more German than I am. I mean, I'm, I have embraced the European tradition, also the gay tradition, I might add, of wearing Speedos. Um, but... <laughs> I've decided that this is this is fine for me. <laughs> I should I should note that there are plenty of lakes, especially in Berlin, where there will be if you you know walk around um, looking for a beach, there will be you know explicitly FKK beaches and then you know non FKK beaches. So uh, you know whatever your feelings about FKK, uh, you can typically find the beach for you <laughs> yeah. if you just keep walking. And Teufelsee in Berlin, that is just a wild mix of people naked and people not naked, and it's all mixed in together. Who knows what's going on there? Actually, I kind of like that uh, yeah. Teufelsee because nobody says yay or nay. You just sort of do what you want to do. Exactly. Thank you so much for that, guys. Germany's coalition government will soon be putting the new citizenship law before the German parliament, the Bundestag. But some politicians within the government seem to be pushing for changes to the proposed legislation. So just to recap, Germany is planning to reform naturalization laws, which would see dual citizenship allowed, and the standard time reduced for people to be eligible to get citizenship from the current eight years to five years. Aaron, what are some of the proposed changes that we're hearing about? Well, Rach, the Liberal FDP, which, of course, is in the government and whose support will be needed to pass this law, they want to tighten a few things up in the final draft. And we'll probably see this discussed when the law hits the Bundestag soon. First, the FDP supports dual citizenship for the generation naturalizing, as well as their children. So their kids will be able to retain dual citizenship. But the party wants grand grandchildren to potentially have to choose between being German and their other citizenship if they end up having an entitlement um, to another citizenship that extends that far. Next, the FTP wants only those who can provide for themselves and their families to be eligible for citizenship. So that might mean that in the 24 months before you apply for citizenship, you can't have taken out uh, any public benefits. So these would be like citizens allowance and Bogogel, 
child, but also things like housing benefits, those sorts of things. You can't have taken any of that out. The Social Democrats, which are, of course, in coalition with the FTP, uh, oppose that. They think that's a bit too harsh. So we're going to see, I would say, a little bit of bargaining and potentially some arguments even within the governing coalition about how that gets managed. Finally, the draft law mentions that naturalization is out of the question for someone who, and I quote here, uh, shows by his or her behavior that he or she does not accept the equal rights of men and women laid down in the basic law. And that can include anti-Semitic, racist, xenophobic, or other inhumanely motivated actions incompatible with the human dignity guarantee of the basic law, which is, of course, the first uh, article of the German constitution. But what we don't know anything about is precisely how that would be implemented. The FTP wants anti-Semitism to be an explicit exclusion criteria. It wants uh, something like an oath of allegiance or perhaps some sort of test, but we don't really know yet how that would actually be enforced or how it would come about. So we're probably going to see uh, a lot of discussion over exactly how you would do that. Really interesting. And Imogen, you managed to get your hands on the full version of the draft law as it stands at the moment. Although, as we've been talking about, there could be some changes. Were there any surprises in there to what we already know? Well, not a huge amount of surprises. Much of the law was very much what we expected to see. What we did get, though, was a little bit more clarity on what it will take to get fast-track citizenship in Germany. So currently, as the law stands, you can get naturalization after just six years um, in some cases, if you can prove sort of special integration or particularly good language skills. That's going to be reduced to three in the new law, but getting your hands on this is not going to be particularly easy. So at the moment, the rules for getting fast-track citizenship kind of vary regionally. In Berlin, you just need slightly better German than you otherwise would. So B2 level, for instance, instead of B1. When the fast-track citizenship is reduced to three years, you will not only need potentially C1 German, so a much, much higher level, but you will also need to prove that you're exceptionally well integrated. Um, That could mean brilliant academic achievements. It could mean volunteering at refugee charities, perhaps being a big name in your profession or being very active in a local sports club or Verein, for instance. So previously, we kind of assumed that it would be an either-or situation. You'd either need these brilliant German language skills or perhaps you could prove your integration otherwise. But the specific word that we've noticed in the draft law is the and. You need both of them Mm. if the law is passed as it stands. And there's also been uh, in there with fast track specifically, it's explicitly noted uh, about benefit claims, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That you can't have made any um, any claims to benefits um, for fast track citizenship, um, particularly. Of course, as we've just been discussing, the FTP kind of wants to bring in this requirement for everyone, mm. um, whether they apply on the normal track or the fast track. But that requirement or to not have been Uh, on benefits uh, within a certain period before applying is already in the draft law for this fast-track citizenship. Mm -hmm. And when do you think things are going to move forward on this? So parliamentarians working on this law say they still expect it to hit the Bundestag sometime this month, possibly in early April, early next month. A fair bit is going to be discussed 
discussed behind closed doors in the Interior Committee. But we will also see public debate on this in the Bundestag for everyone to see and even watch on Bundestag TV if you're so inclined for the next few months. If they pass the law before the end of the spring session, at the end of June, as they're planning, we could see this hit the upper chamber, the Bundesrat, in early July. They have a session on July 7th, actually. Um, and then it passes there, and then it's the law of the land. We here at The Local have read through that 39-page draft law that Imogen uh, brilliantly got a hold of us so that you don't have to. It's a very <laughs> tedious document. Uh, but what is also interesting is what's not in that draft law. And what is not in that draft law is uh, any mention of when this comes into effect. So we think, you know, maybe could it could it be right away? Uh, could it be in 2024 when Germany's infamous bureaucracy has made the adjustments needed to, you know, implement all of the changes that this law uh, has? We don't know yet. And I expect that we're going to be finding out a bit more about that in the next few months. Well, yep, we have to wait and see. Thank you both so much for those updates. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As we've been talking about recently, there are a lot of strikes happening across Germany at the moment, whether it's public transport, childcare, healthcare, post or even flights. Much of public life has been disturbed by these so-called warning strikes. These are days of action where unions have called on their members to walk out. Today, we're talking about why this is happening so much right now. Imogen, what is causing strike season in Germany? Well, I don't think uh, it's escaped anyone's attention that the world has become a very expensive place recently. Um, last year in Germany, at the end of the year, we had double-digit inflation, um, the price of everything just soaring. Um, and the average inflation rate in 2022 was almost 7%. Uh, what that means really for, for workers is that if you didn't get an equivalent pay rise, you know, 7 8%, then really in, in real terms, you've had a pay cut. Your money is just going much less far. This hasn't gone unnoticed by the unions uh, who are currently engaging in what's known as collective bargaining. Essentially, that means demanding pretty significant pay increases in the long terms um, and things like one-off bonuses to help their members with the rising cost of living in the short term. In some cases, like for instance, the postal and rail workers, they're also pointing out that they've effectively kept society running um, during the pandemic. You know, they were the key workers. They were the ones coming to work every day when a lot of 
people were in their pyjamas working from home. Um, so there's also a kind of fairness argument here. Of course, for the employer side, it's a little less clear cut. Giving everyone, for instance, a blanket 12% pay rise, as some unions have demanded, would really send costs spiralling. And many are saying it's just not feasible. So we've got two sides here kind of playing hardball. And in order to up the pressure, the unions are using their most disruptive weapon, withdrawing their labour in these so-called warning strikes. And is this kind of widespread strike action common in Germany? Germany does actually have a really strong labour movement and a really strong uh, tradition of collective bargaining, which actually dates back to the German Revolution in the 1850s. Particularly in big industries like steel and rail, um, they're definitely no strangers to industrial action. Actually, in 2022, half all workers in Germany were actually union members. Um, and you've got big unions like Verdi and IG Metall with millions of members. Um, and those are names you'll hear quite a lot. That said, it's a bit of an, an unusual situation at the moment. Uh, we're very used to seeing strikes and walkouts, but just the scale of this um, is quite unusual. And I guess that's just to do with the unusual you know, situation with the cost of living. Everyone has been hit by the rising prices, energy prices, and that's why pretty much every industry in Germany is now looking at their pay and trying to get a fairer deal for their workers. And do we have any resolutions to these strikes so far? Well, we do have one big one, and that is with Deutsche Post. Deutsche Post and its workers, um, represented by the Verdi Union, have reached uh, a deal. They had recently been threatening indefinite strikes. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, just no posts is getting delivered. That was or, a great yeah. tactic from them. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, so they have uh, secured an 11.5% pay rise from uh, April 2024. And there is going to be a couple of compensation payments, a few one-off payments that um, are made uh, until then. So we've seen some settlement there, but otherwise, not much. <laughs> we are going to see the next round of collective bargaining uh, at the end of the month between the 27th and the 29th of March. We'll see if that round succeeds where previous ones have failed. The Verdi Union is really uh, digging in here, and they seem quite committed to getting the result they want. And they're motivated partly also by German public opinion. There hasn't been a huge, massive amount of polling on this question, but the surveys that we do have suggests that uh, the German public is broadly on the side uh, of the workers and understands why they're uh, going on strike. Thank you both for those updates. Getting to grips with the everyday etiquette in a foreign country can always be a bit tricky. So today we thought we'd talk about Trinkgeld. That's the word for a tip in Germany. But literally drinking money. Yes, <laughs> it's a great word. It's a great word. Now, it comes after a poll carried out on behalf of Playboy magazine, which found that 57% of Germans don't tip at all or at most they tip just 5%. Aaron, can you tell us a little bit more? <laughs> so that number that you just quoted, the 57% of mm -hmm. Germans who are tipping either nothing or up to 5% uh, that they found in that uh, survey for Playboy, it, there's an important caveat to that. 
that. Uh, that is even when they are happy with the service that they've just received. Oh dear! I know yeah, they they explicitly added that caveat in. So uh, the plot thickens on this question. The rest of the respondents there, so the other forty three percent, are tipping the generally expected amount, which is ten、uh, percent. So less than half, even though ten percent is is often what you get told. Some reasons given why Germans are tipping less is that they're living more frugally.、Um, at least. Uh, just over sixty percent of Germans say that that they are that they've cut back. Yet only twenty nine percent say that they're spending less time at restaurants and bars. So they still aren't willing to dispense with certain things. I guess some of these guys are just willing to dispense with tipping <laughs> instead.、Mm. And、uh, were you guys surprised by anything about the tipping culture in Germany when you arrived here? Imogen, I have to say it did take me a little bit of time to get used to the process of tipping here. So in England, you know, and in, in the UK, the norm is to just sort of leave a little bit of cash on the table, kind of shyly. I mean, I guess that's because you're not necessarily telling them how much you're tipping until you sort of leg it out of the restaurant. So here, of course, you tend to round up the bill, or you know, you just tell them the amount that you want them to take. Including the tip, that took a while to get used to.、Um, now I'm used to it. The other way round seems really, really strange to me,、um, yeah. and I always. Really cringe.、Um, sadly, when parents or my friends visit, and there's often this icy, stony silence as they don't. They don't、yeah. say that they're leaving a tip, and the waiter kind of very slowly hands back their change with this kind of icy atmosphere. And then, of course, they just leave the money on the table. But it is something that I definitely have to prod my friends and family on when they come now,、uh, because just that that awkward situation in the restaurant is is not fun for anybody involved.、Mm. The struggle is real with、so、that、awkward. one. It's one of the first things you have to tell people, right? That, yeah, definitely. That、is. that's how that's how tipping happens. I kind of prefer. For it though, because I now whenever I go home to Canada, if you know if the bill is like I don't know twenty one or whatever, and I just say here's twenty five, and they look at me confused, <laughs> <Yeah> . and <laughs> I'm just like no, really, just like do the math and keep the other bit. But、um, I don't like、yeah. it because I panic. I need time to figure out numbers and stuff, and I just go <laughs> like my my mind goes blank, and I don't know what to do. I like time.、Yeah. But I'm from a German family in Canada, and I have visited, or I had visited Germany、uh, before I had moved here, and I knew that 10% was、um, the expected amount, which is actually a little bit less than the general amount in Canada, which is typically between 15 and 20%, very similar to the United States. And I knew that you just say "stimmschon," which、um, literally, basically, is just keep the change. And what I was surprised by is how many people simply just don't. Tip, <laughs>、um, even you know the ten percent. I've 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 actually learned though how to how to use this to my advantage, ladies. Yeah.、Um, yeah. When I'm at a crowded bar, I make sure to tip,、uh, not extravagantly. You know, the beer might be three fifty, so I just give a four or something like that, and、uh, you know, literally just tip at all. And when I come back for another round. It doesn't matter how crowded that bar is. I'm amazed at how fast I get seen and served, and it actually sometimes annoys the other patrons. Oh, 
that's yeah. a very, very good uh, tip. In yeah, fact. exactly, exactly. But you know, all I can say about these guys is, you know, sorry, not sorry. Don't complain to me how you think that's unfair if you can't tip your bartender. There you go. Yeah, you got a tip. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a secret. Let's hear now from Nandinya Maiden, who is an etiquette expert and communications trainer who's been in the field for 25 years. I started off by asking Nandinya what people should know about tipping in Germany. So I think the most important thing people have to know, tipping isn't mandatory in Germany. So you may tip people, but you don't have to. So this is different than, uh, for example, in the United States, where it's really mandatory when you go into a restaurant, you just have to tip. So here it's up to you if you would like to tip someone. And it depends a little bit on the situation and how much money you already spend in this situation, how much you are tipping. So, for example, if you go to a cafe and you just have at the bar, you know, one espresso. So then a lot of people, they don't tip or they just give a little bit, let's say something like 20 cents or something. And that's completely okay because you're just standing at the bar. You just drink your espresso. You don't sit down, read newspapers, and you immediately you leave the cafe. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, if you go to a restaurant, so with friends or clients, and you stay there for some time, and you um, ordered before uh, a certain table, and you have certain wishes for the waiter, and maybe it was quite complicated because one of your guests is allergic against 120 things, and so on and so on. And the waiter was very patient and very nice and gave you a lot of very good recommendations concerning the wines. And in the end, you're very, very happy with this waiter, that it would be very unfair not to tip this waiter. So and tipping in restaurants is somehow between 5 and 10%. So it's up to you to decide. So um, how much do you acknowledge, you know, what the waiter did for you at the table and how expensive was the food? So and of course, if you spent a lot of money, so then it would be nice to give a little bit more to the waiter. But if you just had, you know, one pizza and a salad with a friend of yours and so nothing special and the waiter didn't communicate with you so much, then something between, let's say, five or six percent, that's absolutely OK. OK, good to know. So you probably wouldn't go over 10 percent. You wouldn't give, for example, 20 percent usually. Well, people usually don't give it, but it's OK to do that. Um, if it's something which is extraordinary. Okay, that's good to know. And we'll stick with restaurants, cafes. Is the culture in Germany typically to split the bill or do people like to pay separately? Because you hear that a lot, don't you, when they say Zusammen oder getrennt, so together or separately. Yes, so I, I think they have to ask because some people, they would really like to split it. So for example, if three friends go together to a restaurant and two friends, you know, they are drinking wine and the third one just water. So and then people perceive it, it's not really fair, you know, just to split it into three, equal three parts. And then, you know, to to give the money, to put it, you know, just in the middle and say, okay, that's fine. Because then they see, well, you ate more, you drank more, and then you have to pay more. So I think it depends a little bit on the situation. Also, another thing I wanted to ask you, asking for Leitungswasser or tap water in restaurants, is this okay or a little bit of a faux pas in Germany? As far as I know, most restaurants accept that you ask for tap water and they just 
bring it to you. As far as I know, it's not usual. So not everyone does it. So in some restaurants, I, I can imagine they find it a little bit awkward because what people have to know that uh, restaurants usually, you know, they earn their money with the drinks and not with the food. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the buying the food and the processing of the food, cooking and everything is quite expensive. It's just a little bit money they're making with the food. So they really gain the money with all the drinks. And so in cool water, it's very cheap to drink. So and if people then decide to go for the tap water and they don't have to pay it. So but they're sitting maybe two hours on the table. Well, I wouldn't do it. But, you know, um, if you are in a circumstance where you have to really save your money, And, you know, you have to wait for someone and it's cold outside and you don't have another opportunity. It's okay to do it. It's not very nice to do it, but it's okay. Okay. So that might be a time where you think, okay, I will just buy a bottle of busy water or t uh, still water. Yeah. Yes. Good to know. And, and also just going back to tips for a second, should you tip in any other situations? For example, hairdresser, maybe massage. Yeah. Yes. Hairdresser, massage. Usually you tip them. You don't have to, but most people do. Taxi drivers, for example, when you check in in a hotel, and I am not quite sure about the right word at the moment, but sometimes they have guys and they, they bring the, the luggage to your room and usually you tip them. We're going to finish off today by sharing some German words that make us feel terrified when we hear them or see them. Imogen, which German word stresses you out? Well, there are obviously the words that seem designed to make foreigners look stupid, like Hochgeschwindigkeitsbegrenzung, uh, oh. which is a very fancy term for speed limit. But I'd say that the word that strikes fear into my heart the most is probably Mahnung, which is the warning you get when you don't pay for something in time yeah. and often involves a late payment fee. Um, so when I first arrived in Germany, I would get what felt like endless letters telling my missed pay payment deadlines, um, in a lot of cases for things I didn't even know I had to pay for. So checking the post box every day was a truly horrendous experience. As someone who's naturally pretty disorganized, I've since learned to embrace the joy of the Superman dad, uh, which no. basically is a standing <laughs> order that pays for things automatically. Um, so this is just one of the little life hacks I've learned and it has definitely taken the stress out of my life in recent years. Yeah. What have you got, Aaron? Ooh, uh, Ersatzverkehr is the stuff of my nightmares. Every time you see it, your heart sinks. It means replacement service. And you usually find it at an S-Bahn or an U-Bahn station that's undergoing renovations and therefore directing you to a bus that will travel the part of the train line that's under construction. But these buses always seem to be hard to find, uh, poorly signed, not as frequent as the train lines as they that they replace, very crowded and particularly hot in summer. And in winter, you get to stand outside waiting for this bus, uh, which doesn't seem to come as often as it's supposed to, and freeze. Ersatzverkehr is the worst. I hate you, Ersatzverkehr. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, I mean, I hate the Ersatzverkehr as well. Oh, my God. And, of course, Manung, I would also say that is a terrifying word. Rundfunkbeitrag, when you, you know, the oh, German yeah. TV license, when you see that come through your door. And if it's accompanied by a Manung, a warning, uh -huh. then you're in trouble. Rundfunkbeitrag, Manung. <laughs> yeah, it's the stuff of nightmares. I would also add to this some of the simple words 
words terrify me because of the way that they're spoken and used, particularly Vorsicht, which means caution. And it just seems to get... Oh, I use that word. Oops. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a common German word to use, but the way that it's used, maybe in the, for example, in the supermarket, a supermarket worker will kind of sh- shout that at you instead of kind of saying, excuse me, or something. So it, it kind of just, I know I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And similarly, when I hear hello, <laughs> I know that I've done something wrong. I'm in somebody's way. I've, I've you know, put a toe into a bike lane or something. And so these words are just, to me, I know that oh, I've messed up German life here. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> for me, Vorsicht is more likely to make me bump into something. Yeah. And hallo is the complete polar opposite of the nice hallochen. I'm always aiming to get a hallochen and never aiming to get a hallo. <laughs> that's Germany, it. That's my main main task every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. Great. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to all our listeners. And as always, we'll add the links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. Thank you to this week's panelists, Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett, and to our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.